Welcome to episode 37 of Front End Happy Hour, which is a special AMA episode where we will start answering questions that have been sent in from our listeners. Before we get started and listening to the questions you've sent in, let's also go around the table and give brief introduction of today's panelists, which this is one of the first and only episodes that we've all been to all together at the same time. So, Ryan, you want to start it off? Sure. I'm Ryan Inklum. I'm a software engineer at Netflix. My name is Brian Holt, and I am a staff engineer at LinkedIn. Microsoft? <laughs> you mean Microsoft? Microsoft? That's, that's not a troll. That's actually true. <laughs> no one still knows him. Uh, uh, no one's yeah. going to believe him now. Uh, They're like, Brian's given shit on that for so long. Yeah. No, this is the only time I'm going to be truthful on this. It's back to bullshit next week. <laughs> and it's your first day, too. Congrats. Today is my first day. I, you know, I didn't fuck it up yet. <laughs> Augustus. Uh, my name is Augustus Yoon, and I'm a front-end engineer at Evernote. My name is Derek Showers. I'm a senior software engineer at Brian's company. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. Stacey London, front-end dev at Atlassian. Mars Julian, senior software engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, <clears throat> we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Experience? Experience. experience. <laughs> Sounds so confident <laughs> saying that. <laughs> so at any point in this episode, if we say the word experience, we will all take a drink. All right. Well, let's start and play the first question from our listeners. Hello. My name is Atsushi, like Atsushi, and I'm currently a student at University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. My question is, if you had to choose a career that's different than software engineering, uh, what do you think you will be doing and why? So if we were doing a career besides software engineering, what would it be? So I've, I've had kind of two different careers beforehand. I was a phylogenetic researcher. I actually have published research on crabs. So I was going into marine phylogeny. Crabs is in the animal or like... I get that question every time. <laughs> every time. It's the goddamn animal, the sea creature. <laughs> Jesus. The other one that I was doing is I almost majored in Italian literature, so I thought I was going to do that, but I didn't. And I, I kind of dropped out of college because I was really crappy at it. But you can speak Italian. I can speak Italian. It leads to great experiences. Ah, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. I was just going to say, so you have experience in crabs. <laughs> thought you were going to say he has crabs. <laughs> Not as much as you, Derek. <laughs> So if I wasn't a software engineer, <clears throat> I actually went to school to become an architect. And that's probably what I'd be doing, but I'd be really bad at it. So I'm glad I ended up being a software engineer. So you could be bad at that? Yeah, so I can be bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> so right before I went to school, I actually almost started a tattooing apprenticeship. So I could have actually been tattooing. I, I think that would have been fun, but I'm really glad I went in software engineering instead. I didn't even know Ryan liked tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? So I think I'd actually be an interior designer. Both I, my parents. I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> why? So both my parents were architects, and I actually think that it, it influenced why I became a UI engineer. Much like interior design, it's about building experiences and how people interact with either Cheers. The, Cheers. Oh, <laughs> interact with the physical or in our case as software engineers, the digital space on websites. So I think they're pretty similar. Or party planner, right? 
Or a party planner, yeah, but I think I'd go to school for interior design if I had a second career. Let's see. What would I do? I, I really enjoyed, um, I almost double majored in uh, management information systems and also like a graphic design art degree. And so my um, modern art history class in college was one of my favorite classes and I've kind of always been obsessed with like modern art history. So I don't know if I'd be like some sort of weird like modern art historian or like, you know, something modern where there's just not, not very many jobs. <laughs> <laughs> So I think the path I did was a better path. There's more more jobs, and I still get to artists? care about Let's aesthetics. See. What's that? Who's your favorite artist? Mm, oh, geez, what kind of? That's a hard question. I know. Mm, Rothko. I really like Rothko. They make me very happy. <laughs> His paintings make me happy. If I was not an engineer, that'd be hard because software is so pervasive now. It's like in every industry. I could switch industries, maybe do something different, but. I would actually, um, because I almost majored in math in college, I would actually run a body shop. Uh, an auto shop, because I love cars, I love going fast. That's and I true. think It's also engineering, so it's just a different type of engineering, and it's very binary. It's like, the thing works or it doesn't, and yeah. I'm glad I don't work on cars anymore, because it's just a money pit that I just keep throwing money at. But that's what I would do if I was not a software engineer. Fast and Furious. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Gem is too fast and too furious. That's true. They can name my body shop too. <laughs> for me, so I went to school for journalism and then I worked in hospitality and I definitely wouldn't want to go back to hospitality. So, um, but I think if, if I were to pursue, pursue, if I would have pursued the journalism thing, um, I think that I'd want to do some sort of like travel journalism. I really like when I travel blogging or, I mean, it'd be really cool to be like an Anthony Bourdain and just be able to like, um, drink all the time. <laughs> just get paid and not yeah. give a shit. Like, Would and it I be feel a like he's good like experience? a what? Would it be a good experience? <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. You're like drinking right now on a podcast, but you don't get paid for it. So. Yeah, and I'm like in the same place every time. True, that's fair. <laughs> I'd watch your show, Derek. Thank you, Brian. I'd watch it too, dude. So, okay, I actually have a funny story. So, I I had like this college crisis or high school crisis. That I didn't know what to do, and then my dad like wakes up in the middle of the night because my grandma calls him from China. And I was like, oh my God, I know what Augustus should do. He should be a hotel manager. So I told myself like, if I didn't figure out what I wanted to do, I'd be a hotel manager for her. So I've done that and that is- Oh really? No, horrible. no, okay. It's the worst, yeah. It's the worst, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like- Unless you like people get screaming at you about bed Oh, that's true. Shit, yeah. I was thinking of like, oh, I could hook up my friends with like the suite. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, yeah. But I guess seriously, um, I think data science would be cool. I think data visualization is a really cool topic, although maybe it bleeds into software engineering. I used to be into like movie editing, video editing, so that was something too. All right, next question. This is Kyle Shellen, a front-end JavaScript developer from Portland, Oregon, and I have a question for you. You all work for large, recognizable companies. When and how did you know that you were good enough to work at that level? Never did. <laughs> That's my first initial thought. I think this question is for Brian. When did you know you were good enough to work at Microsoft? <laughs> at like really, really big companies? <laughs> oh, man. I know Kyle. I had, I had dinner with Kyle maybe a couple weeks ago. Brother Kyle. He's a good guy. He's got an awesome beard. That's important. <laughs> uh, I think the answer to that question is I just, I didn't really like hit a threshold where I felt like I was good enough for any like large company. For me, it's just that I happened into the Reddit opportunity and it just kind of worked out. And then 
at that point I realized that interviewing is bullshit and as long as you can meet the right interviewer on the right day then you can work at the right at that company it's just kind of being prepared for those opportunities when they're sprung on you and that's there's no threshold that you need to meet it's just keep working and keep trying and yeah it'll it'll work out I think yeah I think that for me too is like I never actually sat there and thought about it's like yeah I'm ready for this right now I'm gonna go start applying to like these large companies for me I actually I was in Toronto and I wanted a change and wanted a new challenge and was like I'm gonna move to the Bay Area work at some startups and that's what I want to do and so that's what just forced me to do it I didn't really think about am I actually good enough for that apparently I was okay and was able to do it but I hadn't really put thought to that yeah, I, I think like for me, I wanted the challenge of working in a at a Silicon Valley company. As cliche as that sounds, like I was working in Philadelphia at an agency, and I was like, okay, like I just want to take the risk, move out there, and and you know, I started as a contractor at Apple, so it was was pretty easy role um, for my first role out here, and um, and then it just I think I think if you if you have the passion for it, I mean, it doesn't really. I think that that will shine through and maybe you will get the first opportunity if you like if your first if your first interview is at Netflix or something I mean I think you just have to be prepared with maybe not getting the first your your ideal position but because that happened to me I actually interviewed at Apple before the the contractor position and for Apple store and they turned me down after a phone interview so I think you know as long as you're okay with with that I think that there's yeah I think that the passion will shine through but also don't give up too I like that yeah. too is like just keep trying it, it will happen yeah, this is like the third time I've applied to LinkedIn. So. <laughs> I think there's also something to be said for going into an interview and being really honest with where you think your shortcomings are and as well as your strengths. And I was actually encouraged pretty strongly by my boyfriend to apply at Netflix, despite the fact that I was like, oh, I'll never get a position there. I mean, if you look at all their job descriptions, they all have the word senior in them. I'm not at all. And I just went into it very open with, you know, I'm not sure I'm a good fit, but I would love the challenges. And if... I don't think any of us in this room, we would all agree, would never feel good enough to work at this level, but it's about being um, open and honest with yourself and just also being open to new opportunities, new experiences. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> and just being willing to learn. You know, JavaScript is changing every day, and so is probably the company everyone's working at. Yeah, I think good enough maybe isn't the right word, like excited enough. Like, I don't work with people, anybody, that is like, well, it's just a paycheck and a clock in and clock out. Like everybody I work with is really excited about what they do. And that in and of itself, I think is the differentiator. Just being, yeah, I'm generally excited about what you do. For me, when I was working in Wisconsin, I kind of felt like a, a big fish in a little pond. And I kind of started feeling uncomfortable with that. And I think at that point, that's when I knew that I wanted something bigger and a bigger challenge. And I knew that coming down to Silicon Valley, I would be a little fish in a huge pond. And I had to be okay with that. And, and I was able to come to terms with that and realize that when I came down here, I was going to be nothing, nobody, right? I mean, there's so many just geniuses and brilliant people down here. And when I stopped being scared of that, I think that's when I knew I was ready to, to make the jump. Also, I think it's interesting that everyone like would compare themselves to someone else because everyone's good at different things. So you may be like, oh, they're great at this one thing, but you know, I'm, I could be good at this other thing. Yeah, actually, I think you guys all touched on like really good points. And I think the goal of the question was like, oh, when do I feel ready? And I think the, the better question to ask yourself is like, do you want it? Because I think the inter it's the interviewer's job to tell if you're ready or not. Like you just apply and like, I think if you work hard and like study hard for it, 
let the interviewer decide if you're ready, you know? My dad always used to say, <laughs> don't make decisions for other people, which I really like that. Like, let them decide if you are a fit at that company or not at that moment in time. All right. Let's go to the next question. Hi, friend and happy hour panelists. This is Kay Leah from Indiana. I am an aspiring JavaScript developer. I've been studying the basics for about nine months. And in two months, I am joining a 12-week immersive JavaScript boot camp. I am just curious what suggestions you would have or advice you would give someone in my situation to work on leading up to and during the boot camp to make myself more marketable and more hireable, as I know just the boot camp alone is, is not going to fulfill all of the job requirements. So I'd love to hear your advice. Thank you so much. That one for me is an easy question. And Derek mentioned earlier, and it's going to be a common theme throughout this whole podcast, find something you're passionate about, like some specific element of web development, and build a project. So my advice going into a boot camp is find some aspirational goal of something you want to build. Like I want to build a web app that does X, and then kind of funnel your learning into that app, and then at the end of the, the bootcamp, build that app. And if someone's passionate about something, that will shine through 100 times more than the finest polished Ruby on Rails snake app. I don't know what people build these days. But it's a, yeah, no, you nailed it. Yeah, but yeah, find something you're passionate about and the passion will carry you much farther than any other advice you'll probably get. Oh yeah, I think that's a very good advice because at that point too, you have something to show too because I think that's the hardest thing is getting out of a bootcamp the hardest thing is getting that job, that first job. And, you know, people want experience. Well, what experience do you have? Well, I built this web app. I built this app, whatever it is. Oh, yes. Cheers. Cheers. I almost missed that one. This is this turned out to be a good keyword. Yeah. One thing I want to add to is like, I, like, I hear a lot of people say, oh, I want to build this app, but it's already been done. I think you should just do it anyway. I know that seems like simple, but um, a lot of people feel that they can't because I think the other thing is like when you build something and you're really passionate about it you'll find like your own little uh, niche or, or like direction to go with it that is unique so um, I would just it's small but I would just not worry about that I think another thing too to prepare is um, connecting with people I think like we always talk about that we say like get on Twitter because there's a lot of people there connect with them go to meetups like see what other people are doing at certain companies so that you have an idea what's interesting and what's out there available to you after you're done school or a boot camp and that hey these are the types of jobs that are out there also do informational interviews I think that's something that people don't typically do often enough is contact someone through LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever. Don't necessarily ask them for a job or that if they have roles available, ask them about the job that they're doing and the type of work that that company is doing. It's You just made a connection and you also get to learn about that company. And most people can usually spare a half an hour to talk on a phone for that kind of stuff. I think something else that I, I've seen with a lot of, especially bootcamp grads, is that while there's like a lot of like really exciting and super fun parts of boot camp and all that kind of stuff, you also have like a lot of discouraging moments ahead of you. It's really easy to hang your head and say like, I'm not good at this or I'm not cut out for this or this other person got a job before me and I thought I was doing better than them. And there's a lot of just temptation to compare yourself against others. And it's, it's, there are really hard parts about this and it's hard breaking into the field right now, especially since there are so many boot camps. And I'm not trying to discourage anyone from doing it. Uh, if you're if you're into it and you want to do it, you can definitely do it. Uh, but this is definitely a field right now. For the people that are winning and that are breaking into the field are those that are working hard and not necessarily the ones that are like the, the best, the brightest, the smartest, anything like that. Right now you have to work hard, you have to grind, you have to apply to a lot of jobs. 
you have to build projects, just everything that everyone else here has said. And it's, it's the persistence that's going to win out. And you just have to know that the hard times are coming and that you're, you're going to be willing to, you know, face that. Yeah, one word of, so I actually have some friends who have done boot camps and they've kind of told me how like it's really intense and fast paced, depending on how long this boot camp is. But I know I had a friend who said that his boot camp was like super fast paced and literally they would just churn out apps, be like, oh, today we're making a React app. Okay, now we're making an Ember app. And it's like, it can be like kind of overwhelming to process that. And it's like trying to find time to like really absorb like why those frameworks like built were built the way they were, I think has some value too. I think one thing that's nice about that too is that you also get exposure to a bunch of things too, but that can be really hard. It's better to be like, I know React, I don't know Angular, I don't know Ember, but I know React and I know it well, but also you get more experience and more exposure to it, which is cool. Cheers. 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 (laughs) All right, let's go to the next question. Hey guys, this is Nick Reed. I'm a college student right now uh, on a CS track. And I was wondering, I'm graduating in a year and wanted to get your guys' opinions on what's the best way to break an industry, uh, especially now? Do you think it's more show someone a project that you've worked on or just apply for everything? Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Both. (laughs) (laughs) See, I actually disagree. I don't think you should apply to everything. I think that's one thing that, going back to what I said too, is find the things that you're interested in. I know that's hard at the first job. Like, you just want the experience cheers but I, I do think it's important to find the right job or at least something that you're interested in because i've i've made that mistake where i've kind of been like ah it'll be an okay job but then i didn't last very long because it was not interesting work yeah but he asked should i apply everywhere right and i think that interviewing is a everyone here knows my attitude about interviewing i think it's bullshit right <laughs> yeah. so i think it, it's a whole separate skill to writing great code and coding great apps and the only way you get that skill is just by doing a bunch of interviews and so I encourage people to just go do interviews and if it's a crap job you'll find out in the interview if you have your eyes open to it and you just turn them down at the end but at least you got a ton of great experience of how to interview and how to interview well you can even craft I mean you can kind of funnel your interview experience too though like if you know that like whiteboard interviews make me want to pass out okay well there's like sugar pirate uh what's her name uh i know exactly sugar pirate Pirate. Pirate. she has that list that she created of companies that don't do that kind of interview what a great resource like if you know yourself well enough to know what you're good at what you're not good at then you can find companies that maybe align better with that yeah actually like coming out of college i don't know if this person's college does it but my career center offered services to practice whiteboarding so i highly encourage doing that and and the other thing is like you're actually like in a really good environment because you're surrounded by so many like college students who are also trying to apply definitely like try to pair up with someone and practice whiteboarding with them it's like it makes a huge world of difference to practice i applied everywhere when i was in college just because i really wanted to get the experience and like i failed a lot of interviews but i learned really really fast that way I think another important thing is inject yourself in the community, go to meetups, you know, talk to people that are doing jobs that you want and talk to them, ask them questions, say, hey, you know, do you have any openings that might fit my skill set? Or do you have anything that you know, anybody that's looking for people, you know, just meet people. I think that's the most powerful thing you can have is, is friends and, and people that know or that are in the industry. I don't think I've, I don't think any of my jobs have been cold applications. 
in all yeah, the years. It's the I, people I, you know. It's it's from talking to people, getting to know people, understanding what what the company's like, knowing that that's a company I want to go to, that kind of thing. So like that, I think that I think that's really good advice. What do you think about applying to certain jobs? Like I kind of feel like startups might actually be like smaller startups might be a good area to apply to because they're looking for people like so often that they can't necessarily get someone who's been in the industry for a long time that and it's also a good place to get the right experience cheers <laughs> you're getting a, a wide variety of it you know you might not just be working on the front end you might be doing some back end you might be diving all over the place just to get something out the door and i think you do learn a lot very quickly which i think is really powerful when you're first starting out definitely looking for people that will grow into it mm-hmm. that definitely happened to me at reddit like they definitely hired me way before I was ready to do the task that I had to do, but I just, I had to figure it out. It was sink or swim, and I mostly swam. (laughs) (laughs) You're still breathing. Debatable. Swam all the way to Microsoft. Scrambling. Let's go with that. I like that. Sink, swim, or scramble. I'd say general advice to anybody graduating with the CS degree is understand you don't know crap like you think you do because you spent four or five years learning it, but you get into the real industry and it's completely different from everything you learned. Like, understand that and, like, be humble when applying because I've seen a lot of people apply and just like I know all this I'm like cool not useful like it's great you know that but this is what we actually do in the real world so I think if you understand that going in you're better off and I go with the apply everywhere because your first job you just got to get a first job like that's the hardest one so you're probably not gonna get hired at Atlassian or Evernote things like that but take a startup like it may not be a sexy industry but experience is experience Cheers and cheers. 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 Yeah, I don't know if this was in the scope of the question, but definitely, like, if you can get an internship before you hit the whole applying to, like, your last year, like, honestly, like, I learned so much in an internship. Like, you just, like, I think Jem touched on it, but, like, you just really don't know what it's like working, like, in software engineering until you, like, actually experience it and work on, like, production-level code. So, like, if you can get an internship, like, it'll do you so much good. It's, like, the best decision I ever made. Internships are awesome, too, because it's your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I believe my internship was unpaid, which kind of sucks, but whatever. It, I did two months of unpaid internship, and it was part of school. So, fine, whatever. It's the same as, like, being in the classroom, but you're actually in the real world. And that was awesome. They ended up hiring me because it's like, hey, this guy knows what he's doing. Maybe he doesn't and we won't hire him. They, they have the in or out at that point. But they ended up hiring me because, hey, he knew what he was doing. He's here. He's doing the work. Let's just hire him after just like he's done his internship. So I think there is some benefits to that as well. Like along those lines, uh, I've actually been helping out through this dot media during my uh, tenure of being unemployed. A, a mentor a couple of people and so there's like these like apprenticeship contracts you can find this media does them so you might check that out or even just taking like a small business contract right and just you know getting paid like 35 bucks an hour or something like that and you know building a car dealer website or something like that just like shipping some code to production i think is really helpful that's really cool you get the experience at that point for sure cheers, cheers. <laughs> all right next question my name's eric I live in San Francisco. As far as what I do, uh, I'm finishing up at App Academy right now. And so my question builds on something that a guest said a few episodes back. Uh, I believe her name is Sarah Showers. She said that she went to Dev Boot Camp, and when she was finished, she didn't feel uh, job ready. And I can relate. I feel 
like I've been preparing to pass an interview, but then maybe on my first day, it'll be a disaster and I'll just be like a huge burden to the team because I'm so new to this. Perhaps it's imposter syndrome, but either way, what would your advice be to anybody who is uh, looking at starting their first job and has a good foundation, but definitely just a foundation? What resources should I look for and uh, what tools should I use to learn? Uh, I'm particularly interested in front end and uh, which is even, which is different. It's weird because at Academy we focus a lot on um, like algorithms and backends and computer science stuff. So uh, I'm at even a bigger disadvantage. Anyways, the advice I guess should be more general, just to anybody that could use it. I will give you the same advice Brian Holt gave me on my first day at Netflix because I was feeling the same way. If you're in the door, you're good enough to be there. It's not your job to determine if you're good enough. That's their job. So you're there to learn. You're going to screw up. It's going to happen. We've all done it. And just accept that and just learn as much as you can. I, I think like if you're going to a boot camp, I think, I think boot camps are great. I think that there's a great way to switch careers or, you know, maybe you've already went to, to school like, like Sarah did and, and she, for something else. And, and uh, like I did too and, and wanted to switch. I didn't have the, unfortunately, I didn't have the uh, opportunity to go to a boot camp. But anyway, my point is that boot camps want to sell you on their program, right? And so a lot of times the way they do that is by saying that you'll be ready for a job as soon as you're done. And it's impossible, I think, to, to spend nine weeks or 12 weeks, especially if it's your first time doing it, to be ready to to jump right into a job. I'm not saying you can't get a job as soon as you're done, done graduating boot camp, but I think the mistake that a lot of people make is that they think that they are going to be 100% ready. I think it's just the start. Boot camp is like the way, the way that you learn how to learn or what to learn or you know, steps moving forward. And I know it's tough because you're like quitting your job to go to this boot camp, spending a lot of money on this boot camp, and it's definitely not going to be easy. But I think like if you choose to go to a boot camp, I think it's an, an absolutely great choice. But I think you just need to be prepared that there's going to be time afterwards that you just need to spend like continuing that education. I'm going to say like I still learn things to this day. Like I'm still looking at new frameworks or new ways of doing something. I know everyone at this table is is like you're constantly learning, and so yeah just because you went to a boot camp or had a CS degree, that doesn't do it. It's like you got to continue learning. One thing that I, I want to stress is learn vanilla JavaScript. Know your JavaScript. Um, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in whatever framework's really hot these days, um, but I, I can't stress enough how important just knowing JavaScript is. You know, All these frameworks are built on JavaScript, and there's going to be a new one in a couple of years. And if you're a really solid JavaScript developer, you're going to be just fine. If you rely on a framework for everything you do, when that one's gone, you're going to be in some serious trouble. I'd say ask just a ton of questions. Ask all the dumb questions. Ask all the stupid questions. Like the fact of the matter is the first day you step in on your first job, you're in deficit to the company. Like that's just like the rough reality of the situation. But the company knows that, right? They're investing in you. They're investing in you and they're betting from what they've seen in you that you can grow into something that's going to be really productive and they don't have to pay a ton of money. Oh, well, and do some research too. Like you, there are companies that people that work at these companies will blog about the culture there, independent of the company. And they'll say, we're a great company for mentorship to have people that will help you when you're new. So like there's nice little flags you can watch out for to be like, that company seems like they're better at welcoming new people and mentoring them and being inclusive. Like that, that, that's a great way to like focus your efforts on which companies to interview for, the ones that are welcoming to, to junior. One, one last just small piece of, of advice. Learn fucking Git. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I just had that, that's just a real sore point with me, so just learn some fucking Git. 
There's some really great uh, tutorials on the last Where? website. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, next question. <laughs> hey, front end happy hour crew. My name is Rob. I'm from Sacramento, California, and I'm currently working as a front end developer for a startup. My question for you is this. As someone with career aspirations to one day lead a team, do you have any advice for people wanting to make a career transition into leadership roles? How did you do it? As well, do you have any advice for those entering leadership roles? What are some common no-nos you still see today? I know this question may be geared a little more towards Ryan, but if anyone else has thoughts, I'd be really helpful too. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Wishing you an awesome summer. So yeah, I can probably add some to that, but I expect there's probably some good opinions, uh, not just mine. To me, getting manager experience is actually a really difficult thing to obtain. And I did say experience. Cheers. 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 But it is something that's really hard to obtain because no one's just going to say, okay, well, here's a team and you're, you're going to go lead this team and we'll test you out. That doesn't typically happen. So something that I've always recommended to people that have asked me is how do I get some sort of testing the waters or anything like that and what it's like to be in a leadership role. So I always say, try and lead a project. Lead, you know, maybe it's a development team, but lead a project. Make sure that you're, you know, the lead developer on it. And I think there are ways to do that. It's not you're not fully ingrained in it, but I think that's a good way to start. Being a manager is basically like starting a new career though too. It's just because you're a good software engineer doesn't mean you're gonna be a good software engineering manager. And I think you need to really think about that. I think some people go into management or leadership roles because they think that's like stepping up in their career. And I actually don't believe that to be true. I think there is amazing software engineers that are way better than me and they should continue being an amazing software engineer and continue down that path. And there are companies that reward that and make sure that people are growing in being software engineers. So I don't think you should do it as a stepping stool because I don't believe that to be a next step. I have two things that I want to add to that. And the first one is just check your motivations. Make sure you don't want to be a leader to be able to tell people what to do, right? To, to be a delegator or whatever. You make, make sure, we want to be a leader to in, have an influence on a greater product, right? You want to have a bigger influence on the outcome of a product, not the people that are under you. And the second one is make sure that you're going to be okay with having difficult conversations, right? Being a leader isn't all delegating tasks and, and making easy decisions. It's having hard conversations with people and letting people know where they need to improve and, and things like that. And make sure your you know personality is going to be okay with dealing with those hard parts of being a manager as well. I kind of want to add to something that Ryan Burgess, <laughs> we have two Ryans, <laughs> said. It's just... For me, I think there's there's you can be an engineering manager, but sometimes being a leader isn't about the position that you have. Um, and I would just say be open to anything and everything that's going to happen on your team. One of the best ways that I learned at my previous company was actually mentoring new employees who came in. And while at first it seems like you know it's it's a little bit harder to get your work done, sometimes being a leader or being a senior engineer isn't about you know shipping code all the time. It's about being a mentor and being a resource for other people. And I think that. That's a great way to start having productive conversations, sometimes difficult ones, especially if you're trying to get them to a place that they're, like someone you're mentoring to a place that they're not currently. And you can also find the things that you like to mentor about. And then you can, you know, specialize some of your skills and digging deeper in that and leading larger projects about that. I'll also add that 
in my experience, I was thrown into it. It was something that I was excited about. It was a new challenge, but I was thrown in. One thing I would say, and I've said it to other people that have tried to be managers is you're trying like completely cut off from being an engineer. It's really, really hard. But what happened to me was I was still shipping projects. And so I was doing about 50% being an engineer and 50% being a manager, which meant I was not doing anything really well. I was doing a really bad job at both because I was splitting my time. And I think it's really important to just say, okay, now I have this new job and I have to focus on it. And I think that's difficult. Like it's really hard. I still struggle with that days where I'm like, oh, I'm not coding as much. Like that's, that's hard. And especially as a software software engineer that's what we that's why we're software engineers we love creating things and creating the code and doing that and that's that can be a difficult decision to give up i think too like if you get thrown into it it's okay if you fail and don't or don't like it like because i think the worst thing with the manager is somebody that's just there because they feel like that's their next step and like they have to be there in order to progress their career like if you rather would be a IC and, and you find that out after three months from being a manager, I think sometimes it's like a little hit on your pride to like go back. But I think you should because, um, you know, at least in this industry, you can still usually do that without taking a pay cut. And like you have advantages where you don't have an, you don't have another industry. So. Yeah, I did that. I, I managed a UI front end yeah, team yeah, for a bit. And I was like, I, I yeah, just want to awesome. go back to making the things. And yeah, yeah. I think a piece of advice I would have from that experience was would be to ask questions about what that role gives you. So I thought that maybe by having that role, I would have influence and budget to do the things that I thought was right for the product. And then when I found out that I didn't actually, there would be no budget to do the things that I thought would make the product better, then I was in this like tough thing like, oh, I thought, well, this would help me get there and get the team and the product there. And then it, it, wasn't, it wasn't part of that package and so that's a frustrating thing so I think it's good to ask a lot of questions like what's your motivation for doing that role and will that role have the the funding and the right people will you be given those tools to do the, the things you want to do I just wanted to clarify that IC means individual contributor I was just gonna oh I didn't yeah. even know I don't know what that is <laughs> thank you for clarifying that I Brian just, I just learned what it is so <laughs> I wanted to Did share you Google it in the middle <laughs> So next question. Hey everyone, my name is Matt. I'm a front-end engineer at an advertising agency in San Jose. And a few episodes ago, you guys talked about burnout. My question for you guys is, how do you deal with burnout in terms of interview slash hiring denials? How do you uh, how do you power through the never-ending San Francisco Bay Area denials? Thanks, guys. Dealing with being passed on a role does kind of feel shitty, but I think one Thing that I would recommend is asking the recruiting team or whoever you're talking to, whoever's turning you down, why they've decided to turn you down. Like, what can you learn from that? Because I think Brian, you mentioned it earlier, is like do as many interviews as possible. You're gonna learn from it. It's a great learning opportunity and it's a great way for you to get feedback on what you can improve on so that the next interview that you can just work on that. And hopefully that does help you. And maybe after 10 of them, you do find the right job. And that, it does suck. I don't know. Other than that is asking for feedback. I think to me, that's like the best piece of advice I can give. As someone that went through a bunch of interviews recently <laughs> and got passed on for a few of them, like it's, it sucks. Like, I'm, like, I think you just need to acknowledge that it sucks and like deal with it how you would normally deal with like grief-like situations, right? Like there's like meditation, mindfulness, going for a run, like any one of those things that, that you do to deal with stress and just 
again, keep in mind the, the old Brian Holt mantra that interviewing is bullshit, right? <laughs> like you got the wrong person on the wrong day or you were off your game or something like that. Or maybe it, was, it really just was not a good fit for you, right? And you can ask them how, like how, how you did. I'm going to say most companies are just not going to tell you because they're assholes and they're like afraid of legal repercussions, which I don't think there's any like real substance to that, but whatever, that's what they do. But just keeping your head up, just realize that, you know, the last one didn't go well and the, ne- the next one might like, it's just a, it's a game of persistence. And don't take it personally. I know that's like easier said yeah. than done. Yeah. But oh, I totally do. It's, <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, it's like, a, a, it's, it's what we all get burnt out by is like comparing ourselves to other or a lot, you know, that's like a big factor in getting burnt out. And you've now just been told that you're not as good as others for a role. So it's really hard not to take personally, but I think, yeah, you just have to just try to use it to your advantage and that, okay, like I know what I need to do next time better and, and just go with that. Yeah. I think for me, like I've just been like, well, I got turned down from some roles where the, the interview was heavy algorithm based. And I'm like, you know what, you don't, you'd actually don't want, I, I can offer you something other than that, but that's not obviously what you want. You want someone that's like hyper-focused on algorithms and super good at that. That's just not me. And like, I had, I had to, I had to think about it that way as opposed to like, I'm deficient in this thing. And I think Brian kind of touched on it a little bit too, is you could get someone on a bad day or, you know, the interview process doesn't really line up with the way you think. And, and part of being denied doesn't always have to do anything with, with your hard skills. You could still be a great engineer, but that company could not be a good fit for you and the other way around. Kind of like what Stacy was touching on. And I think it's, it's easier to say than do because we all have our emotional reactions at first and those are totally valid. But, um, and I'm not saying don't continue to introspect, but also realize that it's not always about your skills and it's not always about you as a person. It could be the company you're applying for, the processes they have. They could, not, they could just have not seen how awesome you are. And that's fine. That's fine. One piece of advice I want to say is if they tell you they can't give you a reason why you didn't get hired, don't accept that. Uh, ask them in different ways. So when I've gotten turned down, I've asked them for things and they've said no. I've said, well, then can you just go back to the interview and ask them what I could do better? What areas should I work on? Or something like that. Because there's always a way to get that feedback. So don't, don't, don't just accept no and, and move on. Try to get that information. Work hard and ask the question in, in many, as many different ways as it takes. I try to burn the bridge and just tell them to fuck off. <laughs> All right, next question. Hello, my name's Atsushi, like Atsushi. And I'm currently a student at University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. So my question is, a while ago, I saw this Reddit post about a guy who blew up his company's production DB on his first day. So I was just curious if you guys had a similar stories where you messed up big time when you were still a new hire. Do we have an episode about that? We have a whole episode about that. We do. I do want to respond to that Reddit post. I know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, and you weren't on the episode when it came up. I think we came up. I got up. a good story. The last episode we did, it came up, and Augustus brought it up. So I would love to hear your thoughts on it. So that's horseshit that he got fired about that. Like, that's definitely on the company for giving him a script that could delete the whole database. <laughs> yeah. So that is 100% on the company. It's not on that developer at all, and fuck that company. And that happens so often, I think, like, like just in general. Maybe this is coming from, like, larger companies. I don't know, because I've worked at a lot of larger companies. But, like sometimes you're made to feel as an engineer that like you're able to fuck things like that up like and you shouldn't be able to do that you know like like something even something small the product you know like i think it's because you're the one who's like 
tactically touching whatever it is like you're the person that everyone points fingers to but i think i think you just have to realize because this will really help you not to get burnt out is that there is a whole team that is especially at a bigger company there's a whole team that's responsible for a product and whether and even though they're not writing the code they're just as if not more responsible for it. the whole company is like even if it's yeah. a small like two-person company yeah. three-person company all three of you you're i don't care there's who does so it so many like, layers of fa- failure here right like yeah. they should have had backups they should have had permissions yeah, the, yeah, yeah. oh yeah the, the test tv like, should not have any access to production there's so many layers here like I, so I have deleted production code before at my internship in Utah, and it wasn't a big deal. They're like, "Okay, you kind of fucked up, and you had we had like 15 minutes of downtime because of you, but we'll just restore the backups, and you're not fired." It's like, "Okay, cool." We're all human. We make mistakes. That person getting let go for one mistake. I mean, if this guy continually makes that same mistake over and over but again, it was day fucking one. Day one, man. That's terrible. I just want to share real quick. I don't know if I got to share this on a previous episode or not, but I remember my first job. I was working on uh, redesign for PetSmart and I pushed code into PetSmart that changed all of their prices to the sale price. It basically was just using the wrong like API. Like it was something simple. It was just like, and the API wasn't very well documented. I'll use that as an excuse. I don't know. Maybe I just really sucked, but, um, <laughs> but I remember like, so like, like in prod and it was like, and the, and you know, the learning I got from this is when you're like really quick at things, sometimes you just need to slow down and, um, and think through things, even if you're under a lot of pressure and I was working for an agency, so there's lots of pressure, you know, but anyway, but yeah, I remember my manager sitting next down next to me. He's like, "This is this is this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do this again." Uh, I'm like, "Yeah." I actually have one. It was a couple of months after you left, Ryan. I didn't share it on the other episode because, um, but now it's not a big deal. But uh, when I was cleaning up some redirects on marketing website, there's this like one redirect. There's like slash i slash whatever, and it goes back to like our web client. So I was like, "Oh, what does this do? This goes nowhere." So I deleted it. Apparently, it's like a redirect that all of our emails, like marketing emails, use to for work chat registrations. So, and apparently, we don't really get errors about it or something because it's just people not coming. So then the next morning, it's like, yeah, wow, like we have had considerably less less registrations all night, and then they found out it's because I removed that redirect. So. It wasn't like brought shit to the ground. So you stop you stop people from using work chat. Yeah, that's probably. Yeah. A, I mean, yeah. that's a good. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> but there again, that should have been clear documentation of don't remove this. No, this no, will yeah, yeah. screw this thing. Or, up. There's a big fat label now. But uh, but one thing is good. It was like no one made a big deal of it. They're like, I don't know how we would have. Bet. I don't think that's your mistake. Right. Like that literally is everyone's mistake for not documenting it. Whoever wrote it the first time, maybe that should be you can't edit that so like, yeah, yeah. There, there's there's many things that could probably prevent that from happening yeah like i respect management that is able to like kind of take a step back and look and see hey that's like this is a <laughs> wow you deleted the production database all your fault like you're just missing the entire point all the other people that should have been fired <laughs> <laughs> not the guy on his first day he didn't have any experience cheers <laughs> cheers <laughs> all right next question this is the last question. My name's Taryn Verbane, or you can call me Taryn, because I'm tearing it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Cheesy dad joke. I'm calling from Vancouver, Canada, and right now, I guess you could call me a full-stack web developer, but I'm leaning more to the front end, and I'm also a university student. Um, my question is... As HTTP2 becomes more of a, a thing and more prevalent in industry, do you guys think things like Webpack and uh, Gulp and Grunt, so kind of like your bumblers and task runners, 
will become kind of obsolete? Uh, no, they will not become obsolete because most of what our gulp tasks do now aren't necessarily related to actually shipping code out. It'll be like logging and uh, it does some minifying, things like that, but no. Task run, bundlers, as far as bundling your entire code into one package and shipping it out, I think a little bit, yes. We'll do more code splitting in the future, as in like these are static assets, these are assets that are gonna change in the future. But no, bundlers are here to stay. Task runners are definitely here to stay because they do a lot more than just deploying code. Or can we can we give a quick summary oh, what HTTP2, you know? Like I'm, I'll just be honest, I'm Wikipediaing it that right now, like, but um, that would be awesome. Old man gem summary, please. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the fast and quick summary is HP one is fast and furious. Fast and furious summary for Terry tearing it up is HP one is one file one connection. HP two is multiple files or um, multiple files multiple connections, but it's actually just one connection. So it's one persistent connection, but it's better to think of it like a WebSocket. It's not a WebSocket, but think of it like a WebSocket where you can send multiple things down the same pipe without reopening that connection. The most expensive part of any connection is actually not the download, it's the handshaking. And if you eliminate that, that's what, which is what HP2 does, it significantly decreases network resources and speeds up your site. It's like a single high five instead of multiple handshakes. That was, that was good. <laughs> so I think our friend Taryn, tearing it up, Terry, uh, is making the faulty assumption that we as humans are capable of writing optimized code and that we want to. And I think that's those are both pretty faulty assumptions. It won't be bundling it in the same way. But for example, despite the fact that it'll be cheaper to download assets because there'll be an open connection, it's still not free, right? So when you download that first package, you wanna get down everything you need for that first download. You, wanna do, you don't wanna do multiple handshakes if you don't have to. And so there's a bunch of things that basically something like Webpack or Rollup can kind of analyze our dependency graph, analyze what we're doing upfront, build the optimized package to have that first page load, and then have you know multiple other packages that are optimized for other payloads. But it'll be split differently, but it'll still be split, it'll still be minified, it'll still have all these different other things. Well, it actually won't be minified, now I'm thinking about it. But Regardless, nonetheless, the point stands. I think also you need to consider um, sort of what clients you're catering to because not all of them will support HTTP2 out of the gate. And I think over time we'll be able, we can use you know new tools that come out more and more, but at the same time we'll kind of have, I mean, Frankenstein's not quite the right word, but you know new tools come out will be, become part of the toolkit, not the single tool that solves, like the single tool to solve them all. Um, we're catering to a lot of different people, different devices, different types of browsers on all versions. You know, it's, it's a whole crazy world out there when you actually look at what different browsers people are using. It's kind of like when we talk about going to ES Next. It's like we are always going to support these old browsers and you're going to need something like Babel to really help transpile that. There's going to reach some critical point, though, where enough clients of your particular like product are going to support HTTP2 that you're basically going to say 1.1 is still going to work. It's just going to be a degraded experience. And I think that at some day, at some point, that that's going to be OK. I think bundlers, they're necessary, and they're great, and they do a lot of work. But I also think they are probably the worst part of being a front-end engineer in this point in time. You know, call me an old fogey. Old fogey. But I miss the days where you could just, you know, throw in a script tag, write some JavaScript, save and refresh the page. I mean, that was the essence and, and what drew me to being a front-end engineer in the first place. Now, you know, we have, at Netflix, sometimes we do take-homes, and I see take-homes that you can tell the person spent three of the four hours just setting up this fucking bundling system and gulp and grunt and webpack and all this shit, and they didn't write any JavaScript. They wrote maybe 
60 lines of JavaScript, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I, I just want to get back to focusing on, well, I don't want to get back, but I think front end engineers these days spend way too much time working on build systems and figuring out build systems when we should really should be just focusing on writing really good JavaScript. Cheers, Cheers to that, yeah. All, that. <laughs> All right, well, as we wrap up today's episode, we like to share picks of things that we like or have found interesting. Let's go around the table and share our picks for today. Mars, you're gonna start it off. Oh, I'm first? Yeah. Oh, so, okay, um, I love food and I love to work out. So I don't know if anyone has tried these yet, but Cliff Bar has these new nut butter filled bars. They're lovely. They're amazing. Yeah. They have a chocolate peanut butter one, just drives me crazy, it's great. And the second one is, there's an app called iShows, and I watch a lot of TV, and I'm kind of a type A personality, so this, thing's married, this thing marries the two, um, and I can keep track of what I've watched and what I haven't watched yet. This is great. Whenever ask, someone asks, is there a new episode of X, I can just go in and be like, oh, yes, there is. We haven't watched it yet. So if you're looking for something to keep track of all the TV you need to watch, because who doesn't want to track their TV watching, um, download the app. Awesome. Stacy, what do you have? So two picks. None of them are tech-related because I was just on vacation visiting friends in Portland, and I turned all the tech off. So my first pick is a restaurant in Portland called Bamboo, and they uh, do sushi and rolls, and I had the best vegetarian roll I've had in my entire life called the Green Machine. So if you're ever in Portland and you're vegetarian and you want to have good sushi, you should go there. The second one is a song by... Uh, Trenton Moiler, I'm pretty sure I always say that wrong. Uh, it's called Hands Down. It features uh, Jenny Lee by, she's a bassist from Warpaint, which is an all-lady band that's really great. Warpaint's awesome. So that song, phenomenal. Two great artists coming together. Great. Jim, what do you have? Uh, my first pick is a blog post by Lynn Clark of Mozilla, who did a crash course in memory management. Uh, Lynn is brilliant, but the best thing about articles that she writes are they're cartoon based, so it makes it really accessible. And something like memory management is probably something most JavaScript engineers never worry about because it's garbage collected language. But as you see the rise of WebAssembly, which we will, it's good to know what people are talking about when they're talking C versus Java, things like that. And it's an excellent blog post, and she has a series of them, and they're all very, very useful. So I recommend reading it and trying to get ahead of the curve as far as understanding memory management in JavaScript. My next pick is actually a Netflix original. It's called Discovery. I originally wasn't going to watch it because I thought it was depressing. It's, the topic's a bit taboo. It's about suicide, improved afterlife, things like that. It's actually a fantastic sci-fi film, like really, really engaging. And intertwined with all that, it's a love story. And it's, it was like one of the best films I've seen in a long time. And it's something I probably wouldn't have watched unless I was really bored when I was really bored. So I <laughs> Derek. Uh, all right. I have two picks as well. And believe it or not, after WWDC, which is a couple of weeks ago, and neither of them were Apple, so I just figured I'd... Awesome. What? <laughs> I'd like to, but I'm going to you know, do something a little bit crazy, not picking the <laughs> Um, the first one is a book that I just finished reading called The Obesity Code by Jason Fung. Um, it's it's actually really good, and it's not uh, it's, it, it maybe claims about weight loss, but it's I think it's it makes some really good points about just the science of like uh, food and like what we eat and processed food and why it's so bad for you and how there's sugar in absolutely everything. You make some really good points on like how we have gotten to the point where we are now and like how big companies have influenced our diet. So I just think it makes a lot. Of, I just thought it was a, one of the best books I've read in a long time. So. I recommend it. And the other one, I know Ryan, I think, picked this um, before in a previous episode, but 
I'm going to pick it again because I like it. Headspace. So I am actually just finished day 68 in a row. So I'm oh. on a 68-day streak, which I'm proud of myself. I'm going to really hate myself when I forget to do it for a day and ruin my streak. But I, you know, especially being in some of the stuff that we were just talking about in this episode with, you know, constantly comparing yourself to other to others and just being in this state of, like, fast-paced environment and learning stuff all the time. Anxiety, I think, happens to a lot of us, and I definitely struggle for, from it. And I think Headspace is a really good way to... Um, just take time for yourself even if you don't get anything out of it it's 10 minutes just to like sit and take time to yourself every day so i highly recommend trying it out my second epic excellent app i only made it today five because that's how short a time span I have, but 68, that's impressive. He even did it through vacation, too. Yeah, that's wow. it's tough. Yeah. It's tough through vacation. Yeah, yeah, that would be tough. Especially because meditation is still kind of like faux pas with a lot of, like, you know, so, like, I went to Orlando. I visited a lot of friends in Orlando, and it's like, I feel like they think of me that I'm kind of like, oh, you're that hippie Californian that does uh, meditation. So I had to kind of, like, find my own way just to work it in my You day. owned it. <laughs> no, I didn't. I hid in the corner somewhere. <laughs> What time of day do you normally do it? Like, do you start the day with it? Yeah, I usually try to like, get in a routine by starting the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. Augustus, where do you have? Yeah, so I have two picks. Uh, one is just this gener- actually pretty generic front-end guide from by Grab. And uh, I just, like, read through it, and I thought it was, like, pretty similar to what we do at Evernote. And it was, like, a pretty good, like, I don't know. When I was reading it, I was like, oh, wow. Like, if I hit my head and forgot a lot of things, like, and I read this, I'd feel like I'd be up to speed. So I thought I thought it was a pretty good front end masters also has like a really good guide. So um, yeah, that's my pick. Um, and then the other pick I have is Steam Summer Sale. I don't know if anyone plays yeah. video games, but uh, you know July fifth is bought all these games and uh, yeah, just playing a lot. So fun fact: there's like some stat from Steam, and it's like we buy all these games. We're like, we'll play them eventually, but it's like 65% of games. Oh yeah, yeah totally. Played. I don't think I'm gonna play some of the games I bought, but I was just like. Like, it's two bucks. Brian, what do you have? So I have a couple picks. The first one is Bing.com. Uh, <laughs> it's a great search engine. <laughs> Were you paid to say that? <laughs> My next pick is OneNote. <laughs> uh, that's, that, that's not what I'm picking, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> My first one is that I got my first tattoo, or I'm getting my first tattoo, rather, which led to a hilarious tweet. <laughs> I saw someone superimposing my tattoo on an O'Reilly book cover. <laughs> uh, so her name is Rahina. She doesn't list her last name. But anyway, on uh, Instagram, she is Rex underscore TTT, and she's a phenomenal artist. I, she does tattoos in Berkeley at Modern Electric. And then my other one is super niche. It's only for the Bay Area, really, but it's my dog walker, and she's phenomenal. She's going to win uh, Best of the Bay, so I, I feel justified in saying that uh, she's pretty good. Uh, the name of it is City Pups SF. You should look at them on Facebook because she posts a picture of my dog every day, and, and she's adorable. Uh, she's a little white Havanese that you see on there. Luna is a very cute dog. She's a good dog. Still haven't met Luna. Oh man, you're missing it. Why don't we have a dog yeah. play date? I like okay. this. Okay. I don't have a dog. I'm in. Get one. Uh, <laughs> you, you can bring uh, ZZ. She's not a dog. <laughs> She's bigger than my dog. <laughs> True. Ryan, what do you have for us? My first pick is a book uh, called Children of Time. And it's a sci-fi book set in the distant future. Um, Earth has kind of become inhabitable. A long, long time ago, and they sent this ship out um, in space with about 500,000 people, I think, to re- recolonize a, a planet in the far, far distance. And yeah, that's the gist of it, and a lot of other interesting things happen. A planet becomes 
inhabited by smart spiders and ants and yeah it gets pretty crazy um, but it's a really good book it's the best sci-fi book i've read in, in a while so highly recommend that and i only had one pick this week but then mars's pick inspired me to for my second pick and that is uh, Darigold Old Fashioned Chocolate Milk. There's nothing better in my book after a long hard run or a hard workout than a big glass of ice cold chocolate milk. And this is by far the best that I've had. So if you're into exercise, definitely try a big glass after a workout. Sponsored by Darigold Chocolate Milk. <laughs> <laughs> We're not, but if Darigold wants to send me some uh, cartons of chocolate milk. <laughs> All right, so for my picks, I have two. One, I think will apply to most of our listeners uh, if you listen to podcasts. There's this app that's called Breaker App. It's a new podcast app that looks really promising. Unfortunately, it's only for iOS, but what I really like about it is it's finally an app that uh, allows you to follow other people and see what they're listening to. And you can like episodes, you can comment on episodes. To me, it's actually looking pretty promising that i hope more people start using it because that will be an interesting way for you to subscribe to new podcasts and kind of discover new ones so you can also connect with me on there too i have signed up and started using it my username is just ryan burgess hope more people are using it because i'd like to see it grow and hopefully there's an android app soon that's that would be really good i know jem's shaking his head most of the world use android my second pick is called phone soap it's a... That's a Utah company. Is it really? Yeah. Sure. Oh, that's very cool. A bunch of my friends work for them. So it's a device that helps clean your dirty ass phones. We all use our phones all the time and they're so disgusting. They're covered in bacteria. And this device uses UV rays to clean your phone. It kills bacteria. You can just drop your phone in this like little box device and you can even charge your phone at the same time. It only it takes like 10 minutes for it to run and it's supposed to kill the majority of all bacteria off your phone. I did buy one, I've been using it. Of course, I can't really test if it's actually working. I'm just feeling a little cleaner using my phone now because of it. All right, thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at FrontNHH. You can also find us on Facebook. Any last words? We have an Instagram account. We do have an Instagram account. Fancy. Yeah. This is a good experience. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> oh, you said experience.